welcome, my lords, to the White City, where you will learn more about Middle-earth and discover differences and similarities between the Rings of Power show and Tolkien's books, and whether Amazon's show, episode by episode, is worth watching. I'm Philip Dutt, your host, and I'll be joined by Matt Vandevoort and Mark Schaefer. I hope you enjoy. All right, so we've been talking recently about um, just the the lore and uh, how how that is either popular or unpopular, um, and the different themes that um, uh, would make it you just popular or unpopular in our world today. So to kind of like keep going off of that and thinking about epic fantasy. Um, and basically, like, in what ways does, like, Rings of Power follow, like, the genre and, uh, and whatnot? Mark? Uh, yeah, I think when we think of epic fantasy, there's maybe, like, a lot of things that come to mind. But generally, you think of, like, magic, fantastic creatures, and, like, sort of the way the story is structured with, like, a lot of a heavy emphasis on foreshadowing and maybe some clear battle lines in terms of good and evil. I think... We see some of the ways, like the question I had was like, what ways does like Rings of Power like follow the genre? Um, and so I had like a few ideas that I thought of like, you know, there's there are some magical creatures. There's like clearly hobbits and dwarves and stuff like that. You have like the Balrog. Um, aren't there some wolves that attack the hobbits at some point as well that the stranger yeah. saves them from? Yeah, there's like, uh, well, there are wolves at the like the prison break, right? Yeah, or wargs. A warg, that's warg. right. Yeah, there's the yeah, one that looks like a pug warg. Um, yeah, and then there's like also some magic in the show as well. I had like the stranger and the white clad ladies as well as like Mithril. Do you guys remember any other magic that was in the show? There was like the re- reflection off the water. That's true. Sauron that, has some magic. Yeah, so, yeah. But they didn't really, they didn't really that's give true. him and Galadriel a whole lot of. Well, stuff. it's because Tolkien himself, like, if you actually go through and read The Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion and all those things, like, magic is super vague in Tolkien's works. Like, it's not, um, I think it's, it's good that you're calling this epic fantasy rather than high fantasy, because, like, Tolkien's magic system is, like, super undefined, and, like, I think the closest you get to actual, like, spells being cast are in The Hobbit, where, Tol- uh, where Gandalf is, like, lighting the pine cones on fire. Um, like, everything else is really, like, vague and undefined and, like, magical effects and feelings rather than, like, I cast fireball! <laughs> um, and so it's, like, a, and a lot more focused on, like, artifacts and magical swords and things like that. So... I will say that I think in the show they did a good job at, like, limiting the magic system to sort of being, like, undefined and vague, but to a decent level where it's just, like, magic is definitely in the setting. It's just not real specific. Yeah, this ties into my, like, next question. is like, what does the show do, like, differently than typical high fan or uh, epic fantasy but i think it's really interesting actually the closest that tolkien comes to actual spells is in the fellowship of the ring in the minds of moria when the balrog and gandalf are fighting before gandalf seals the door with a specific spell and the balrog casts a counter spell um but i think actually it's something like if you read tolkien's works again i know right 
But whenever you read like Tolkien's works again, magic, like you like you said, is completely undefined. There's no like magic spells like there is in say like Harry Potter or something. But it's yeah. actually like really present in the world. Oh yeah. Um, so like whenever the dwarves are like in like uh, like uh, passing through, like there's always like they have magical items, they have magical toys. Even Gandalf has like magical fireworks. The elves like their like their lands are protected by magic, right? Um, yeah. And while it's not like uh, the way it's portrayed in like like I said, Harry Potter is the easiest example. It is really present in the world in a way that I didn't really feel like it was in Rings of Power, where it was like. Hey, like the elves are in dwarves. Like we saw a lot of elves and dwarves, and like very like little magic at all with those people. Um, and that didn't really seem like it was uh, a good adaptation of some of Tolkien's work. And I was sort of thinking what you guys thought about that. Okay. I, I don't know. I think personally, I felt like some of the things that weren't explicitly magic, I just sort of chalked up to magic, like the trees in the elven place. Mm-hmm. All lined up, I kind of associated as just like elven wood magic stuff, and then uh, the creation of Mordor as the big sort of magical set piece of we're gonna blow up this entire country and turn it into the Deadlands. It definitely seems that like, there are only like right particular characters who can do anything magical. Thinking about, like, sure, I think, like, Lajwa probably could have been given, like, more magical things. I mean, like, if you think about it more, you don't really think of her as, like, carrying a sword as much. Yeah. Um, But even if she does carry a sword, it kind of makes sense. All right. Like, anybody who knows anything, even just about, like, the movies, knows that, like, she is very magical, right? She has some of the most magic in the books, yeah. Yeah, so some of, if not the most magic in the books, right? She like casts a spell one time that like sends a mist over to hide the like the approach during a previous like battle, um, and stuff believe, like that. She throws that the, down the walls. Yeah, that was like the first row here. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And she does swim for multiple days at a time, which you know that <laughs> could be magical. Yeah, I was gonna say though, like even if you like think of like Lord of the Rings movies, they always make Legolas seem sort of mystical. You know, he's like he's walking on top of the snow, or he's not sleeping at night and notices Sauron is approaching and stuff like that. Um, and I think there's like the sense in Tolkien's work that like, yeah, even if like the dwarves and elves don't have a lot of explicit magic, there's always this sort of like implicit magic that I felt was sort of lacking yeah. in terms of power. Yeah. But that's what the chanting and choir music was for. That's the implicit magic. <laughs> The sea is always right. (laughs) Yeah. That's the men. They're not supposed to be magical. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But those are the Um, magic men. The other theme that I had, like, that seemed very different than epic fantasy was um, this idea of, like, an epic fantasy as a genre. There's, like, a ton of foreshadowing. And, like, Tolkien does this all the time um, in his works. So, like, if you think about, like, um, Gollum betraying Frodo and Sam, right? There's like this whole scene where it like it's spelled out explicitly that he's gonna send them to her. You don't know who her is yet, but you know that like he's sending them a trap, right? They don't just show up at a cave and he's like, "What's going on here?" and stuff, right? Um, and like there's entire scenes setting up, say like the charge of the Rohirrim. Um, but like things aren't there to surprise the audience or the reader. They're there to like build the tension and like the the presence of the of the what's coming next in anticipation. um and it was really interesting to me that like rings of power and this is like something i don't even know if it works or not but they seem to like intentionally have flipped this um they kept the audience guessing the whole time on like 
who the stranger were was who is sauron and stuff um and like yeah. i i think especially i noticed it a lot and say that two of the battle scenes were like um both in the southlands but like first you know uh uh Arondir does like all these like cool flips and like brings the tower down and it's like this cool reveal that like somehow all the people escaped and like are in the village now rather than like they're not in the tower anymore or then at the end like oh we totally forgot that the Numenorians were there but they suddenly come in at the end um yeah. and save the day and it was like if you think about the Lord of the Rings movies even though this is like in the books as well um like the the Rohirrim coming to save them at Helm's Deep that's built up for like tons of episodes uh or sorry like this is like clearly built up foreshadowed by like the light coming in and you hear Gandalf's voice right like look at my coming i look to the third day and like you're always like expecting what's coming next and nothing is like really a surprise and if anything this like builds your anticipation for the next part of the story yeah um rather than trying to like catch you by surprise and it was interesting talking like listening to some of the creators of the show but they were talking about like the specifically the halbrin reveal like hey everyone if we like if we just had him show up as typically as the Anatar, the Lord of Gifts, and like clearly everyone would know that this is Sauron, so we need to be more sneaky about it to surprise our audience. And it was like this clear choice that they want to surprise people. And I was like, it didn't really seem like it fit with like the epic fantasy genre to me. And I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts of like, do you guys like this change or do you not see the change? What? Yeah, I would say that I think it's because those are the tropes that are popular in fantasy stories right now. Hmm. Um, largely. You know, it's easy to blame everything on Game of Thrones, but it was such a major uh, pop. It was such a major force in pop culture until it suddenly, suddenly wasn't. <laughs> but I think it did affect a lot of those. Um, you you can also look to things like Marvel and Star Wars, where like everybody these days wants to subvert your expectations, mm. and I think. I mean, you could go into all sorts of reasons. You could say it's because with the advent of, like, the internet and mass media, it's like suddenly we're getting inundated with stories, and so you need a story to subvert your expectations to stand out, supposedly. But I don't think it works with Tolkien, because like you said, it's it's epic fantasy. It's, it's written in the traditions of the old Norse epics and the old sagas and the old uh olding like beowulf and the ring cycle and the poetic and prose eddas it's written in that style where um basically the outcome is known from the beginning it's just an epic story of how you get there um and when you go back and look at these things, like, these heroes don't have flaws. Like, Beowulf doesn't have flaws. He goes and beats up everything he sees. Uh, even his death is cool because he dies fighting a dragon, which he kills. So, Tolkien's stories do not trade in the same storytelling tropes that modern stories do. Like, in a certain way... The characters in Tolkien, and this is in no way a criticism, aren't realistic to the extent where, like, they are in off in a lot of cases more similar to the epic heroes than they are to, you know, Jon Snow or, you know, Captain America or something like that. 
And so, yeah, it, it, it is epic fantasy where the story, the point of the story is not, oh boy, I really want to know what this character does. It's, let's talk about somebody doing an epic deed. Um, and I think that the showrunners, you know, either the showrunners didn't get it or the network didn't get it because they, they weren't really wanting to make a Lord of the Rings show. They wanted to make a modern fantasy show set in the Lord of the Rings universe. Hmm. That was great. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> I think, yeah, I just, like, the one thing is that you think of, like, a lot of jump scares. Like, uh, um, maybe you guys have not been watching. I've been watching some of The Mandalorian lately, but you can see there's a lot of, like, other things. But, like, random scary monsters jumping out of nowhere is, like, something that happens, like, a lot. And, like, not just that, but in a lot of shows. Yeah. And, like, you think of, like, I don't know, I think of, like, the Mines of Moria, right? Where, you like, you first you hear the drums in the deep, and as they're coming up, right? Rather than just, like, a goblin, like, pops out of nowhere, right? Or something like that. Or, yeah. like, the Balrog surprises them around the corner. Um, it's always, like, this idea of, like, building tension. And, yeah, like you said, it's not something that's popular these days. We all like to have our expectations subverted. But, yeah. like, Tolkien builds expectations rather than subverting them. Yeah. Um, or at least... They think we want our expectations subverted. Or we think we want our expectations subverted. Whereas I think that the danger of having so much media saturation is that um, you go through cycles very quickly. Where, like, that style of storytelling has gotten stale in about 10 years. Because now we're all expecting to have our, our mm. expectations subverted. And... Again, not to drag the fact to Game of Thrones, but um, there's a reason why the last season was so disappointing. It's because, and again, I haven't seen the show, but I followed what happened a lot, and I've watched a lot of videos because I do research on shows rather than watching them. Um, but uh, there were all these storylines, like Jamie Lannister had, like, he was set up for a great redemption arc. But then they didn't do it because that was the unexpected thing. And instead of being like, oh, wow, they, they subverted my expectations, everyone was like, wow, that is incredibly disappointing and sad. <laughs> and I think that's why it's dangerous to lean on subversion of expectation because oftentimes when you take away the shock value of a subversion of expectation, you just leave people disappointed that what they thought was going to happen didn't happen. So... People like figuring things out before they happen. Yeah, there's actually it's really interesting that people enjoy stories when they know the ending better. Like that's that was like yeah. a, I I was watching some writing tips recently, and that was one of the author the famous author's suggestions mm. is that people really don't like not knowing what the ending is going to be like. They like to have guessed it beforehand. Thanks for visiting the White City. Before you leave, please subscribe to our podcast and check us out at thewhitecitypodcast.com. Consider supporting my movement on Facebook, keeping the rings of power pure.